And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome to the NBA Daily Ding on the Athletic NBA Show. Ding, ding. How about we can just watch basketball? I like that idea. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding here on the Athletic NBA Show. I am Jared Weiss. We've got a special one here for you today. Jason Quick, our Blazers writer at the Athletic, is joining me. And it looks like he's somewhere beautiful right now. I'm in my backyard in Portland. This is this is uh, a reward for all the gray days we endure in the in the winter and spring. It's great. I mean, it's the off season. We need to be outside. That's right. Inside, at least under my window. Um, and speaking of being outside, the Dame Lillard situation has been crazy and out of control. We were just talking about this before we went on the air. I don't want to get into the advancing the story stuff. I just want to know as someone who's been around this franchise forever, has seen Dame's entire career, and we've been waiting for this shoe to drop for so long, and it never has. What do you? What has it been like experiencing this up close? Well, first of all, I'm I'm really surprised that it has reached this point, just because. Um, both Dame and Joe Cronin have talked ad nauseum about how well they communicate with each other. And you can see it during the regular season. Um, Dame would spend time with Cronin on the bench as, you know, the guys are warming up and they would have extended conversations. And Joe said, even after the season that Dame was in his office uh, and they were exchanging ideas and it really had the appearance that every, that they were all on the same page. And, you know, obviously, I think what shifted everything was Portland vaulting up to number three in uh, the draft lottery and then selecting Scoot. Um, I think that changed the way Joe kind of approached um, just the whole scenario. And I think Dame... Um, didn't have patience for that. And I think somewhere along the lines of their communication, I think Dame felt, I don't know, betrayed might be a too strong a word, but felt like he wasn't on the same page as Joe. And again, like that's surprising just because of how often they spoke and how deeply they both said that they understood each other and were on the same page. And, you know, Joe has been, I, from my perspective, I always thought that Joe was too Dame centric on his approach with the Blazers. I thought, you know, when he took over for Neil Olshay and, and broke down this roster, you know, he said, I'm not even considering trading Dame. I only want to see what's out there. We're building around him. And I thought it would have been smart to still at least see what other teams would offer at that point. And we're talking about December of, of what, 2021 or something like that, whenever Joe took over. Um, but he was both set on we're building around Dame and he has kept that same stance throughout everything. But as he's saying that he's not following that up with actions, you know, at the trading deadline. 
they went and got young people and, and, and traded away Josh Hart. So uh, I could see why Dame would question his actions. But again, I'm surprised that has reached this level of uh, action because they had been such uh, on the same page and, and been so openly communicating. And for people outside of Portland or even just for fans of maybe larger market fan uh, teams, what is it like when you have this kind of star in a smaller market? And why is it why like wh- they could have traded Dame two years ago, maximize his value or trade him before he had that huge contract. I feel like they would have gotten an incredible return. They could have rebuilt around. Yeah. So why is it so hard to make those moves earlier? Um, well, I, I think with Dame, he's more than just a player. He, he means so much to the community, to the region and to the franchise, just the way he has kind of established a culture and the way they do things, the way he's such a good team player. Um, he cares about his teammates, tries to empower them. Um, so it wasn't just like you were getting, giving away or looking to trade a 30 point scorer. You know, you're, you're trading away like the identity of your franchise and really the, the, the lifeline between you and your fan base. You know, Dane wasn't just liked here or loved here. He was beloved. He was, people are very passionate about who he is and what he is about. And he kind of stood to represent a lot about how Portland feels about itself. Portland's a small town and I think people always have a chip on his shoulder that they don't get the respect. They don't get the attention. And Dame kind of embodies a lot of that. You know, he went to a small school, was never highly regarded. And he's kind of always adopted that underdog persona and, and Portland has really identified with that. So, um, so that's why this area, it, cause it's not just Portland, it's Oregon, Washington, the Northwest, really holds onto him deeply and you were saying was is that is that is that reverence past tense like has has there been a fissure in the way people feel about him um, you feel like it's something I that think, could be healed yeah i don't think i don't think he'll ever be viewed uh negatively around here i think there's some to some degree there's some bitterness about the way he's handled it and you know saying i only want to go to miami which is kind of hamstringing the organization. But no, I don't think there'll ever be any bad feeling about Dame in this region. Uh, and I, I, I don't know why I said was just because I kind of think, you know, his era is done. He's, yeah. he's, he's going to move on, but um, no, I, I think it runs too deeply. I don't think there's anything he can do that would tarnish uh, the way people view his 11 years here. Yeah, Cause Dame is, I feel like the standout example of, a player requesting a trade over the years because of the level of reference and the meaning to the region. And whenever I would talk to people kind of around the situation over the years, they would always kind of bring up this balance of how much is pursuing a championship worth and the risk of pursuing a championship worth mm-hmm. where you have, like you are the golden child of a region of this country. It's not, and you're right. It's not just Portland. Like, you know, he has yeah. almost an entire corner of the country where he is this like demigod essentially. Yeah. And it, you know, and it's one thing to rip off the band-aid, but it's another thing to just not walk out on your terms yeah. with your head held high. And I feel like that's the thing that scared a lot of people and probably led to him holding on for longer than either side would have probably anticipated. You know, and it's interesting, like he has been very open about, you know, not chasing championships and stuff. And he went on a, a really poignant diatribe this season about 
the journey and like how he has uh, learned to embrace and appreciate the journey of each season and the grind and the, the bonds you form with your teammates and your coaches and the organization and how that is just as meaningful as, or just as important to him as, you know, getting a ring and getting all that acclaim. So it, it's an interesting shift by him um, this summer. Uh, you know, something, something triggered him to take this dramatic change of like, nope, I want out um, because he has given chances or, or shown patience to the previous GM, the previous regimes. And there must have been something through all that communication that I talked about earlier with Cronin that something that triggered him to be like, nope, you, you did me wrong. I want out. I mean, patience is an infinite, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, all right. I, I want to get into two stories. We've been talking to writers about some of the more substantial work because, you know, the athletic, one of our great advantages is we're able to do these incredible deep features. And you, I mean, you've always had a penchant for getting into deep emotional, especially stories around loss, being able to kind of like touch in them in a way that most other writers can't. And yeah. it was really fascinating to see how a feature you did on Justice Winslow then set up another story you did later in the year that both I think were pretty significantly can we say critically acclaimed if if we're already critics? <laughs> sure. Yeah, maybe the PBWA Awards startup again, we could say it. But <laughs> so th the first piece was uh, early in the season, you had this feature on Justice Winslow and mm -hmm. he and just everything he's gone through. I'll let you explain it. But it was a really interesting dive into one of the more you know unique careers that we've seen where he was someone that came into the draft as a kind of a player ahead of the curve almost. And I think it's almost proved to be that his play style was a bit ahead of the curve. And at least for me covering the Celtics, he was this kind of this figure that was always looming because there was a rumor that Danny Ainge wanted to trade for first round picks just to be able to draft him, which probably yeah. worked out for the best. Um, <laughs> you know, in his career, every single time it looks like things are coming together, injuries got in the way. But obviously, yeah. as we learned from your story, it was more than just injuries. Yeah, so Justice, um, he came to the Blazers uh, two seasons ago at the at the trade deadline, kind of an afterthought in the Norman Powell, Robert Covington deal. And then he got a chance because the Blazers were tanking and they just kind of threw him out there and, and let him play. Um, and there was two things. One, I was like, wow, this guy can play. He's got some skills and it's really unique. I mean, he's a big guy who can handle, he can guard, uh, he's a great passer. Uh, but then also there was just something about him. He was um, he was so happy. You could tell that he was getting a joy in playing and getting a chance. And you could I could just see something in him. And and it really struck me how he he maintained eye contact all the time, which is very rare, I think, for NBA players. You know, there's kind of talking to us lowly media people, and it's like, ah, oh, it's part of the job, but he, he had like, there was an engagement there and, and connection. So I made a point like the next season, I, I wanted to dive deep on him and see what was going on. So at the first um, preseason game this year, I went up to him at his locker and I said, Hey, I want to do a deep dive on you. And uh, I think there's something there. I, I, I see a, a joy in you that um, is unique. And he's like, my story is a story that needs to be told. 
And I was like, okay. But as I have. It's a nice reaction. Yeah. yeah really, you don't, you don't get like, that very yes. often in this business. Yeah. Yeah. And so as I have embarked on more and more of these deep dives, like I need, I need buy-in from my subject. And so I told him, okay, but this isn't going to be just a normal story. Like I'm going to go deep. I want to talk to your, your mom, your family, your whole inner circle. And it's not going to be one interview. I'm going to come at you four, five, six times for an hour at a time. And he's like, I'm like, but I'm not going to do this unless I know that you're okay with that. And that you're going to, you know, be on board. He's like, yep. Okay. I'll do it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So that started a long process. I was October 7th. The story didn't publish until late January, mid-January, I think. And uh, I think by the end, he regretted kind of giving me that time because there's, a, you know, like our last two interviews, it's like, oh, my God, I got to talk to you again for 45 minutes for an hour, you know? And we're talking about some pretty sensitive stuff. Um, but he really, he really, um, it, it was really a passionate um, story for me to work on because I was just coming out of a three month leave of absence from the athletic because I was all screwed up in the head. I was super depressed. Uh, I'd lost two friends and my dog in the span of three weeks in March. And I was just questioning. Like, what am I getting out of life? Why am I pouring so much of myself into work? Um, I was just in a super negative about the industry and about everything. So anyways, I was really messed up and I'd been to some dark places. And so when he started talking about the dark places that he went to, I, I could kind of relate. I, I could very much relate. And so it, it was really therapeutic for me to listen to him talk about his story um, and essentially his story is he was, uh, you know, national champion at Duke, got drafted 10th overall by the, the Heat, um, was kind of a much ballyhooed uh, draft pick, and he became injured. And uh, he really struggled with his identity, um, living up to expectations, and just being sidelined. And, and during that, he, he had a bunch of – personal stuff kind of bubbled to the surface. His parents were divorced. His mom started dating. He started developing a relationship with his father and his mom was unhappy with that. So it was, there was just a lot of uh, stuff in his personal life and his professional life that were kind of crumbling and, and very volatile and he didn't handle it. Well, he medicated it with booze, women, um, and he just didn't treat people 
well and he knew it, but he kept doing it. And so, you know, as he said, he, he, he fell into a place of darkness and made it comfortable. And so he, he kind of wallowed in his self pity. And um, so the story was, and now he's in Portland and he's happy. He's, he's enjoying playing basketball again. He's just had a kid. He's, he has purpose. And so I wanted to kind of depict how he did that, the road from darkness to, um, you know, being happy. And so it was a long process of getting him to kind of reveal that. Um, and, you know, first I, I talked to his brother who he had a, a monumental fight with in the Bahamas and got some time with his mom. Um, and each time I would learn a little more and go back to him and say, okay, let's elaborate. Let's talk, talk about what you were feeling on your mom's birthday. Why did you cry in front of her? And, um, it was, uh, it was a long process. So this is from October, again, from October 7th until January, just knocking off these interviews, um, one by one. And, uh, but anyways, to, to dovetail into the other thing, one of the interesting aspects of that was his relationship with coach Eric Spolster in Miami. Um, the two clashed, they just, you know, they banged heads and, uh, uh, justice couldn't stand him when he, when he played there and Spolster was trying to kind of really, um, instill in him the idea of service and of um, making things or understanding things are more than about yourself and being about the team. And so when he was hurt, he wanted justice to be present with the team and cheering on his teammates and finding the, the joy and in, in, of experiencing group success and really truly being happy for your teammate. Um, but that was a hard concept for, for justice to kind of, embrace because he was so wrapped up in himself and God pity me, poor me, look at me. I can't get healthy, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the interesting part for me was, uh, Spolster never gave up on him, even though they, they continued to clash and, and justice wasn't getting his, uh, kind of call to, to be of service to his teammates and to the team. One off season, he said, Hey, meet me in Los Angeles and we're going to go to Laird Hamilton's house. He's a probably the best surfer ever in, in the world. And Laird Hamilton put Spo and Justice Winslow through a series of exercises. One of them included um, jumping into the deep end of the pool while holding dumbbell weights. And they sit there at the bottom of the pool and they look at each other. And it was a multi um, faceted or there, there are multiple points that Laird wanted to instill in them. One was, you know, don't panic, panic, remain calm, but also draw strength off the, off of your partner, looking at them. Well, Spo uh, didn't have much of a stomach for that. He let go of the weights early and went up. But anyways, that, that whole day, they, they went to the sauna, cold water showers. Um, the whole day changed justice because he felt a high in life like the workout and the the exercises they went through gave him such a high 
that he wanted to continue to achieve that. Instead of chasing the high in a club and with women, he was like, no, I want this kind of high. And so it really changed his, his direction and his outlook and his um, priorities. And all that was because Spo uh, saw something in him and never gave up on him and, and wanted to get the best out of him and cared for him. And so that always stuck in the back of my mind. It's like, man, that is really unique for an NBA coach to do that in the off season. Um, so I'm rambling. Where do you want me to go next? This is great. I mean, well, <laughs> you know, one thing that's interesting, we're almost out of time, but one thing that's interesting is kind of the power of shared experience to kind of reframe yeah. a relationship. And like at the beginning of that uh, Justice Winslow story, you talk about their baby trying to take its first steps. Were you yeah. there for that moment? I wasn't. Oh, okay. No, the, but the, the wife ex or the girlfriend explained it uh, and, and justice did. Yeah. But either way, it's like that, that seemed like a shared experience and it kind of will yeah. reframe how they all interact with each other. And then same thing with the Spo and, and Winslow thing, especially because they're like technically for a brief moment dying together. Like you're yeah. technically drowning for a minute, yeah. a minute and you're deciding <laughs> how long you're going to tolerate it. And yeah. undergoing that kind of stress together has got to be a fascinating experience that at least humanizes each other and kind of strips away all that context of whatever resentments you've and pressures you've built up with each other and it's yeah. always fascinating when you see these like huge rich famous characters that have these dynamics and the way that they can be changed through you know one significant moment together yeah yeah so i thought that was really cool and so after i wrote that story i uh i had in my mind that man that was really unique of spo to do that and so I wanted to see if other players had that same experience. So as teams would come through Portland, I would hang out in the, in the visitors locker room and pick them off, you know, and the first one was Josh Richardson. And originally my story was really narrow that I wanted to see these off the court experiences that Spo has, or, or I wanted to see if there was more than one. And as I picked off players one by one i found that there wasn't off-season things but there were different things that made him unique as a coach and so josh richardson was the first person i uh interviewed and he was fantastic gave me a, a great scene of him as a rookie um he wasn't playing he came in on an off day and uh he was shooting threes just going through a regular routine and, and spo came out and said no no you know I want you to compete and, and try to make 75. Uh, and so Richardson went through a, a couple of tries of it, couldn't do it. And each time Spo would make him run lines. And, you know, after a while, Richardson got pissed and was like, well, I'm here on my off day. This guy's making me run. This guy's crazy. And so he got pissed and he ended up making uh, the threshold. And he was, but he's cussing, throwing balls and Spo's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you need to do. And this whole time, Josh Richards is hitting my chest, like Spoh's hitting his chest at the time. He's like, that's what we need out of you. You got to compete with yourself. You can't just go through the motions. And, you know, Josh Richards said from that day on, his whole approach to every time he shoots, he shoots a purpose and, you know, competes with himself to reach a, a level. And, and that level of competitiveness uh, that Spo instilled in him changed his career so uh so then i just started picking up more players kelly olenek 
Um, and then I, I was like, yeah, I think I have enough for a story, but it's not going to be the narrow story that I thought it's just going to be more of a broad, like what makes Bo tick and, and what makes him so successful. And, uh, it was, uh, it was fun to kind of explore that. And I think what was interesting about that story, and I, I like, I see this in some of your writing is you didn't get Spo from the story or for the story yeah. and you just acknowledge it and yeah. you don't hide from that fact. And you're still yeah. throughout the story able to capture a, like a level of depth about who he is as a character that it's almost like you didn't really need to see it. It was, it would almost be like the interview with him would him, be him almost like, mm. you know, <laughs> almost countering all the things people are saying about him because he doesn't <laughs> want to get that attention. Yeah. It was still really frustrating though, because, uh, in all my years of doing this, I don't feel like I was I I, I was as well prepared to interview Spo as I've ever been prepared to interview a subject, and so I was really eager and um, excited to interview him. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept getting stonewalled, stonewalled, stonewalled. Uh, and I mean, I ended up talking to him, but it was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. But we had a nice little chat. Uh, but it was very frustrating, and. Along the way too, like I was trying to get Dwayne Wade and LeBron James to talk about them. And for people I don't know, you just don't call up Dwayne Wade or, or LeBron James. You have to go through their people and it's such a process. Uh, and so it was really frustrating not to get them in the long run. They both considered it and it's like, yeah, we're going to take a pass on this. And that I thought that would have added a lot of depth to the story. Spo would add a lot of depth to the story. So when I sat down to write it, it was almost out of frustration that I wrote it. And so when I finished it, I didn't feel like it was very good because I knew it could have been so much better. Um, and so that it was a really um, awkward story once it published. I mean, it got really well received, but I was like, ah, should have been better. It should have been better. So, um, so it's it was funny how that works. It was yeah. an interesting process. Yeah. It's funny because you, I, I don't know if you failed upward on the story, but I think it was like our most read feature on the Athletic NBA all yeah. season. So apparently worked out. So yeah. He's Jason Quick. He covers the Blazers and emotion wherever it pops up in the NBA. <laughs> I'm Jared Weiss. This has been The Daily Ding. We'll see you next time on The Ding. Ding, ding. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 